Say it out loud. Pushing our buttons and how those buttons are created, how we give the devil a foothold. Now they, now they want credit for that. Okay. Well, let me ask you this then. Uh, last week or, or, or two weeks ago, um, I, I talked about some reasons that people reject Christianity. Anybody remember any of those? I heard somebody say yes, but if you can think of any, just say it. I'm just curious because I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm not trying to really quiz you. What I'm trying to do is build a, build a progression here and build on week to week. That's what I'm trying to do. So remember we talked about how sometimes people are just ignorant. They don't know. They don't know. They just don't know. And some of the people that you're around, they really, really don't know. You know, I was reading this last week and just kind of doing some research on some of these studies that I've heard about for years and... and uh, Actually, they're saying that this, this number is very consistent, that about 50% of people say that they would go to church if a friend or relative asked them to go. That's 50-50 chance that you wouldn't get turned down. But I know we hate rejection. I hate it. I mean, everybody hates it. Want to hear something else, an interesting statistic? Another statistic says that it takes the average person about eight times hearing a presentation of the gospel before they respond. Eight times. Now, typically, it's not the first person who tells them. And you may be somebody that has told people and you're feeling a little, a little frustrated because uh, you're not getting anywhere with them. But, but the truth is, you may just be number three. And that's okay. Does anybody remember what we talked about last week? We, we covered a, a kind of a large portion of Scripture, and I talked about... Anybody remember those things that God says that we are? Uh, we have bad breath, some of us. Can have bad breath, that's right. I know you're not talking about your wife, right? No, okay, well, he didn't say no, but what else did we talk about? We talked about the aroma of Christ, what else? Remember we talked about how we're ministers of the gospel, God chose to use us, that he didn't, do, he didn't choose just professional ministers, but he chose us. Anything else? Can you guys remember anything else? We're supposed to reflect the glory of the Lord. Remember that? Anybody? <laughs> See all these glassy eyes? It's, it's not early, right? It's, oh, it's late. Okay, well, okay, review. I guess review time's over. Well, let me ask you this. I find that this is true a lot of times in life that, that I'm, a lot of times I'm, I'm trying to answer questions that people aren't really asking. You ever notice that? Seems like we have some answers, but if people aren't really asking the question, it, it doesn't matter what you know. They don't really care. They're, they're maybe not that interested. Maybe, maybe you've got some pet peeve kind of things that you've really looked into and, and you've studied up. Like, it, maybe you studied all about Jehovah Witnesses, but you can't wait that, like, none of them come to your door. So you're trying to, you got all this information and you're all loaded for bear, but they never show up. I find that a lot of times it's like that when we're talking with our friends about Christ. It seems like we have th- things that are meaningful to us, but they're not necessarily meaningful to them. And for a lot of us, the reasons we believe are sometimes personal. And they can be related to events in our lives or situations that we've been in, in and God has shown up. And, and it's so exciting for us. Maybe, maybe you've done this where you've been on a trip and you come back and, and you want to tell somebody about it. And as you're telling them, they kind of have that look that you had a minute ago. Right? And you can't understand why your pictures aren't that interesting to them. And you keep saying, but look, look, you see, and they just don't care. Because they weren't there, right? And they didn't get to walk the walk you walked and experience it how you experienced. For some reason, I was telling that. I, remind, I remember my dad, he would always pull out the slide projector. Anybody ever had seen one of those? He had, my dad had two kinds. He had one that had the big circle ones. Then he had the one with the racks. 
Now, I mean, we would, we'd see those pictures and we'd look at vacation pictures and every time we get together with family and I remember being a kid sometimes and just thinking, I don't know who these people are. But, you know, you try to be interested. Well, I think we do that a lot. And kind of in line with that, I think a lot of times as Christians, we make the mistake that, that a lot of people make. Have you noticed that every discipline has its own language, kind of its own specialized language? And I think there's a reason for that. And, and sometimes it's a good reason. But the reason I think sometimes is to give clarity, but really only clarity to those people who are in that, in that discipline. Because for them, you know, all these nuances and these words are very important because they, they distinguish meanings that a lot of times just go right over our heads. Like maybe you've had some kind of a medical condition and you've had to be in a doctor's office. And then they start saying these words and then all of a sudden you become a little expert, don't you, on your little field? Recently, I, a couple of years ago, I had to have a back surgery. And when they, when they talked to me about lower lumbar stenosis, you know, I had to run home and look at Google to see what that was. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. And, and, then, and then they talked about doing a laminectomy and a fusion and, you know, all these things that didn't make any sense to me. But now I know. So now if somebody's talking to me about those kind of things, I feel like, mm, yeah, I know that stuff now. Do you guys ever feel like that? You know, and a lot of the disciplines that we're involved in have that. The military, my dad was in the military. So I grew up, you know, watching the bulkhead. Anybody know what that is? It's like a doorway. And he would say, you know, do you have to go to the head? Does anybody know what that is? The restroom. Yeah, he would say, uh, he would say, he would say, uh, he goes, like if we had stairs, he'd say, I'm going to go up the ladder topside. <laughs> That's what he would say. Now, growing up in that house, I didn't even flinch. I knew exactly what he meant. And I could translate both languages because I knew exactly what he meant. And I knew what, the, you know, most people knew what those words were. But do you, do you realize that we as Christians do the same thing, right? We have our own language. And sometimes it's very useful, but if you're not on the end or if you're not part of the group already, it can be very confusing. Now, as a minister, you know, we go to school and try to make ourselves feel smarter. And we talk about, well, let's start real easy. What's, what is theology? Study of God. Theo, theos, God, and then ology is study of, whatever you're talking about. Okay. So then we might talk about soteriology. You guys got that one? Some people are showing off here. I can hear them. The study of salvation. How about hermartiology? Study of sin. But I'm saying these things as a Christian when you guys are Christians and don't know these things. Right? And why would I even use those words? I mean, they don't mean anything to you. But I, I just jotted down some words I think we use a lot and it just goes right over people's heads. And like, for instance, we say things like, um, we'll say things like uh, saved. Most people today don't know what that means. Number one, they don't know what they need saved from, and then they're insulted if they think you think they need saving. How about if someone's backslidden? <laughs> I, that's not even in the Bible probably, but we use it a lot. Rapture, the word rapture, joy, the blessed hope. These are things that I think most of us as Christians are familiar with. They're probably meaningful. And then today, we're, we're dealing a lot of times with people who are very illiterate when it comes to the scriptures, whereas just a few generations ago, most people at least have been to Sunday school a few times. So if I were to say these names like, like Moses, Jethro, you think, I know you're thinking of Beverly Hillbillies, huh? Who thought that? You be honest. Okay, Sarah, Abraham. I mean, I know you know Jesus, but do you know that his name was a very common name? You know what the other name was, the, Greek, the, the Hebrew name for that? was Joshua. 
He probably grew up with a class full of Jesuses in his day, but we don't think of it like that. Joseph, oh, I got to tell you, there's a friend of mine, she was a pastor's daughter, and when she was growing up, you know, we, I grew up near the border, and uh, her church was doing a special thing, and they had these I love Jesus buttons, so she wore that to school. I, <laughs> she, got, she kept getting teased because everybody said, oh, you love Jesus, you love Jesus, but uh, how about these names? Uh, Peter, Paul, Mary, Hezekiah, Jeremiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Malachi, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, Corinthians, Timothy, Peter, and John. We talk about fasting. Pastors talked about fasting. Most people don't know what that's about. They think of Gandhi, maybe, but they don't think of Christians. Talk about Christian meditation. They have no idea. The Eastern religions have totally taken that away from Christianity. Talk about sin. They don't, really don't know what that means. You know, you might mention to them Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic. You know, that, that movie that uh, Mel Gibson did, The Passion of the Christ, he, did, he had all the words in Aramaic because that was a common language that the Jews were speaking at the time in Palestine. And he had the whole movie done in Aramaic. But people don't know what that is. I mean, certainly they don't know the language. We don't either. But I mean, if you just throw out those words, you might impress them, but they don't know what that is. So let me ask you. It doesn't do much good, does it? Sometimes the way we talk kind of reminds me of this little clip I found. Sometimes you just can't figure out what they're saying. But, but they, seem, they seem to know what they're saying. See, I think a lot of times people who are not Christians, they look at us and they think that's us. I mean, we seem to understand what we're saying, but they have, we have, it doesn't mean anything. You can kind of fill in your own meanings there. That's perfect, right there. All right, you can take that off. So if our job and our goal is to be minister of the gospel, and we're supposed to tell people about Christianity and what it means to be a Christian, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I know I gave you a quiz a minute ago, and now I got like a whiteboard. I almost said chalkboard. Okay, I've got a whiteboard. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to tell me how to become a Christian. Well, let's just start right there. How do, how do you become a Christian? What does it take to become a Christian? You're going to have to help me out. You're going to have to talk and yell. and. Wow. <laughs> okay. Jo- he said confess. Confess your sins. All right. Okay, what else? What else do you have to do? Realize you're a sinner. Okay, I'm going to write that right under this. All right, what else? You can yell loud. Okay, ask for forgiveness. I know some people said some other things. (laughs) Uh, Someone said plead the blood. I can't even spell that, though. Okay, what else? What else do you have to do? I know some people said some good things over there. I couldn't hear them that well, though. Okay, you have to believe. Ouch. Okay, believe. What else? What did you say, Jenny? You got to what? Okay, you got to hear. Okay, you got to hear. 
Okay, what else? Okay. That's what he said. He said substitutionary atonement. Okay, what else? Yep, you got to realize you're a sinner and what you're saved from. What else? Anything else? Okay, you got to repent. Okay, repent or confess. I think go together. Accept Jesus in your heart. Okay, are we missing anything? Understand that God is love. Okay? All right, any, anything else we're missing? Change? Oh, okay. Okay, you, you're saying you need a source of authority? Boy, that guy talks really formal. Anything else? Anything we're leaving out? Is this going to get you to heaven, all this stuff? Read, okay, read the Bible. Faith. I'm going to write that under believe. What else? I saw a hand back in here. Okay, let me... Let me tell you what I was trying to illustrate here, and I think you did a good job, especially that guy who said substitutionary atonement. Here's the problem. You all know what this means, and you didn't hear this all in one sitting and then get it and accept it, right? Probably your faith walk took a different turn, and probably each of us have had a different way that this happened. Let me, let me ask this question. How many of us were raised in church, in a Christian home? At least half of you. Okay. And let's be honest. When you're raised in a home like this, a lot of this you learn growing up. It's almost osmosis. And as you're, as you're growing up, you don't remember when you learned this, you just knew it. And it, and it all makes sense. So here's what I would like to do with you for a few minutes. I'm going to take, take you through a simple, very simple acrostic uh, and, it, and it's going to be a layered acrostic in the sense that it, it's progressive and it's going to go on along with the word gospel. Now, gospel is a great word, and in the scriptures, it's, it actually means good news. So, as Jesus is talking, he talks about the good news. So, if I asked you what the good news was, hopefully you would be saying some of these things, but not this way, because I think we could all be honest, this is kind of confusing. And, of course, I made it confusing. I wrote it in a confusing order, and I didn't put all the, you know, the brother mentioned we should use the Bible, and I didn't use the Romans road and go in that progression. I did that on purpose, but we, we kind of threw it out that way in pur- on purpose. So right now what we're going to do is we're going to go through this as the good news and see if, if we can make sense of this and see if there might be a good way, an easy way to tell someone what it means to be a Christian and how that works. Oh, and one really quick thing. I just want to give you a little illustration about how important this is. I, I heard about this on the news, and I, I couldn't believe it. It really happened. But on one of, our, one of our news outlets, somebody was being interviewed, 
And there, it, have you heard about what has happened with that? There's a preacher over in Florida who uh, he put the Koran on trial and then burned a copy of the Koran. This happened three weeks ago. And then last week, um, some Muslims were stirred up about it in Afghanistan. They literally killed U.N. workers. You know, reports had that they were beheading people over it. And in the process of all this going on, it, it made it to the news. And um, here's what this person said. He was being interviewed. He said, the thing to keep in mind is very, very important here is that the Koran to Muslims is not, is not the same as the Bible to Christians. The Bible is a book written by men. It is acknowledged by Christians that it is written by men. It's the story of Jesus. Now, the interviewer, his name is Chuck Todd. I, I never really watched this, where, the show he's on, but he said, yes. Then the guy he's interviewing said, but the Koran, if you're a believer, if you're a Muslim, the Koran is directly the word of God, not written by man. It is transcribed. It is directly the word of God. That makes it sacred in a way that it's hard to understand if you're not a Muslim. So the act of burning a Koran is much more, potentially much, much more inflammatory than directly attacking uh, the God of Christianity. So he said, then if you were to burn a Bible, because the other thing is directly attacking God. You know what this shows me? That this man is totally ignorant of what Christianity believes. Completely ignorant of Christianity. And to be honest, he's ignorant of, of Islam as well. Because uh, Muhammad didn't write all this. His followers wrote it, you know, in some cases, hundreds of years after he was, he was here. So anyway, I mean, the, it's not, it's not, I wasn't surprised to hear this. But it just illustrates the fact that, that people around you really don't know these things. So let me, let's just go through this really simply right, real quick. When we talk about the good news, that is the gospel. So let's start with that first letter in the acrostic, and that would be the G. God created us to be with him. Now, it's important to start here because when I'm saying something about, about why God did this, because in most people's minds, they're going to want to know, why does this matter? What, what is the point? And what we really need to establish with people is the fact that God really does care about them. In fact, the way he created us, he came to us. This is not an effort of man to make it to God. It was supposed to be complete fellowship with God as God intended for it to be. For some people, this could be the very thing that makes them want to become a Christian. This, this point alone. Because they feel alone in the world. They feel like nobody really cares. And no matter what has happened to them in their life, they get the idea that nobody really, really loves them. But if they could believe or get a hold of the idea that there is a God of the universe and that he created them for relationship for complete fellowship with them, that's, that's really amazing. And that alone could draw people into relationship with him. Let's, let's just look at some scriptures, and I'm glad, I'm glad the brother asked that we do that tonight. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made it all. And then in Genesis 2.15, then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. God's intention was for us to have a relationship with him that, that, that was full and full of fellowship. Now, I don't have this scripture right here. I have it later in this presentation, but, but I'm going I'm to refer to it now because in, in Genesis 3, 8, there's that story where God walks in the garden. He calls out to Adam and Eve, and they're hiding from him because they've sinned. You, now, there's a direct understanding of what, God, what that scripture is trying to tell us, but behind that, can you imagine walking in the garden with God? That, that would have been a normal thing for them. And I know that none of us have really had that experience. Maybe you've gotten close to that at a time of worship or maybe a time in your car and you're listening to a song or maybe there was something that, that happened to your life. Maybe it was the birth of a child or 
at some point in your life where you felt so close to him, maybe for you, I mean, I love, I love backpacking in the outdoors, and there's, if you're ever to see my office, I've got some pictures of places that I've been that I, that I feel close to God there like I do in, in no other time or place. And the thought that you could actually walk in the garden with him, and Adam and Eve forfeited all of that, but before that forfeiture, that's what they experienced on a daily basis. That is something that could draw people into relationship. But something happened. Something happened terrible. So we go back to our acrostic. We started with what? What was the first thing? Gee, God created us to have a relationship with him, right? To be with him. Okay. So we go to the next thing. The O, our sin separated us from God. It's important to understand it this way. It was our sin that did it. It's, it's really common in our world today to find somebody else to blame for everything. For spilling your hot coffee on your lap. <laughs> for coffee was too hot. Now we have to have every coffee cup says, caution, contents may be hot. Like, oh, okay. That's how we are. Nobody wants to take responsibility. Most people think that, the, that their whole goal in life is to be happy and have no problems. So if they're not happy and they're not having any problems, they've got to find someone to blame. That's one of the problems with people understanding the plan of salvation and the gospel is, and the whole concept of sin, is they don't think it's their fault. I didn't do anything wrong. I was made this way. I can't help it. You know, I hear that a lot when it, when it comes to sexuality, for instance. And I believe that God did create us with a sex drive, but I think the problem with our world today is that we feed that sex drive so much that it gets out of control. And it's, it's way more of a sex drive than God intended for it to be. And if you look around, it's not hard to see how that is with a sexualized society that we live in where, where we're constantly, especially men who are more visual, you're constantly confronted with image after image. It could be a commercial on TV. It can be, I'll never forget being in the checkout counter at Target or Walmart or somewhere with my son. And you guys, you know, you have code words for things, you know, body parts and stuff. I hope I'm not going to get in trouble here. But in our house, I don't know how this happened, but we started calling, you know, breasts like bobos. I don't know why. I just know that. He was really young and we were standing in the checkout and my son said, dad, I can see her bobos. And thank God nobody knew what he was saying but me, but I'm like, oh my goodness, what is he saying? I look over and he's looking at a magazine just sitting right there. And you know, she was mostly covered, but mostly not. And that's what we're confronted with all the time. That is something that is always before us. So it's so tempting for us as human beings to blame somebody else, but it's our sin, our sin that separates us from God. So let's take a look at some of those, some of the parts of that. We have broken fellowship. What God intended is to be fellowship is now broken. And now to that verse in, in Genesis 3, 8. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. All of a sudden, sin came in and he separated them one from the other. God gives us a lot of pictures in the scriptures so that we can relate to this relationship. One of them he gives us is a man and woman relationship. And throughout scripture, those of you who've been raised in church, you know what I'm talking about, where he will talk about us as the bridegroom. The church is the bridegroom of the lamb. That's, that's not a mistake. Now think about your own marriage relationship or an ideal marriage relationship where there wasn't this kind of sin or, or separation. But when there is that sin, it brings separation and draws the two people apart. And that's the same type of thing that's happened here between us and God. Separation. One thing to always remember too is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. What's important about this 
is people need to know that nobody is any better than anybody else in this area. We are all sinners, all of us, equally sinful. I love that there's a line that says that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. What I like about that is, you know, I've, t- I've been in ministry a long time, long enough to know that, that I've ministered with people and been friends with people who've done some horrible things. And I've had some of my friends uh, say to me, like, I used to ride a Harley a lot and ride with a friend, and he, he would say so to me sometimes, can't believe you hang out with me because you know what I, what I was. And I look at him, and I realize that we still do that, don't we? We kind of compare and grade sin. And obviously, some sins have more repercussions and effects than others. But when it comes to the fact, the fact is that all sin separates us from God. That's a fact. And my sin may be different than yours, but I still sin. And all of us have sin. But of course, we like to blame. You remember what uh, Adam did when God met him in the garden? It was that woman you gave me. That's what he said. And unfortunately, men have been doing that ever since. And then she wasn't a whole lot better because she said, it wasn't me, it was the snake. Right? And that blame game just goes on and on and on. And unfortunately, that leads to suspicion and deeper broken relationships, which eventually, Romans 6.23 tells us, the end is death. The wages of sin is death. Now, most people struggle with that concept, but it's not really that complicated. It's pretty easy to show them how these choices, when they, when they add up, they end in not only separation of relationships, but physical death in addition to spiritual death. So we have G was what? God created us for a relationship with him, to be with us. And then O was what? Our sins separated us from God. So then we move on then to S. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Unfortunately, we live in a world. Now, you know what? My mom told me this. My mom was a great theologian. I don't know how it happened, but I still remember these little things she would say. And maybe she got them from a preacher. I don't know. But she said this. The best lie is really close to the truth. And then I put that together with John 4 that says the devil is the father of all liars. So you know what he does? He constantly creates lies that are really close to the truth. You think about the world religions. Now, some people, you know, some sociologists or people would tell you that, that, well, look, all these religions are so similar, that means none of them are true. And I would step back and say, really, is that really what it means? Or is it possible that one is true and then there's a good liar out there who's telling really good lies that are really similar to the truth? That makes a lot more sense to me. You know, that there's somebody who's copied or that there may be a type and then all of these are just copies of that type. So if you look at this for a minute, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. What does our world try to do? They continually try to work their way to God, to earn it somehow. Man working to get to God. My dad was in the Navy and we lived about three years in the Philippines. And for that first year, we lived off base. And we saw something in the city of Cavite one day. We were trying to get to town and we didn't understand what was going on. We knew that the streets were super crowded. We didn't know what it was. We knew it was Good Friday, and we were trying to get to church, to town. And so as we came out, we ended up, we couldn't drive our car. It was that packed. The streets were literally shoulder to shoulder, and we were going to walk about a mile to church, or back to the base to go to church. So as we went out into the base, I remember as we were walking, I could see, I could see through the crowd, there were people in the street, because the street was, was, there were people in the street like a parade, but the sides of the street were just packed. 
And I remember looking and seeing there was an old lady and she was crawling on her hands and knees. And I could even see as she was crawling, there's blood all the way down her shins. And I remember trying to ask my mom and, you know, in the hustle and bustle, we couldn't really get any answers until we got to the end. And it turns out that this is a ritual that happens every Good Friday. And these people literally crawl on their hands and knees all the way from, I don't know where they start, and all the way to this church. And there's a man that even gets himself crucified every year. And lots of people do it. What are they doing? They think that if somehow they can pay and suffer enough, and these are Catholic, supposed to be Christian people, they think that somehow they can work themselves to God and make God feel sorry enough for them or feel like they're sorry enough for their sin that he will give them grace. That is sad. And they don't understand the grace that God offers. With that in mind, though, let's think about it for a minute. We not only have always been working to get, think of it, it started early with Cain and Abel. What was Cain doing with, with giving God his fruits of his labor in the, in the garden? What was he doing? He was trying to work his way to God to get some of God's favor. And he couldn't understand why Abel was more favored. Well, what Abel was doing is he didn't make the animals have babies. All he was doing is giving the first fruits, giving the best of what he had. There's a difference there. Let's keep moving, though. How about the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments were a tool that God used to show us our errors. But some people still get the ideas. I heard a preacher once say, there are two ways to get to heaven. I remember as a kid thinking, two ways to get to heaven? What are you talking about? And he said, well, you could follow all Ten Commandments, or you could, you could accept Christ's forgiveness. And he just said it so quick, and he kept preaching, and boy, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah, I guess if you could follow all ten. But let me ask you real quick. Anybody ever told a lie? Raise your hand if you told a lie. You can be honest. And what does that make you? It's harsh, isn't it? It does. It makes you a liar. Any of you um, stole anything? Ever? Don't look, Jason. And what does that make you? You know, the Bible is pretty clear. If you've broken any of these commandments, you've broken them all. And then Jesus in Matthew 5, 28 said, if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, then you've already committed adultery with her. There is no way you're going to make it on your own. You're just not. So we started off with God wanted relationship with us, right? And then O was, okay. And then S was, Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Let's look at this next uh, slide up here. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. You see, God, the way he set this up, and we can argue with people about why he did it, and I've had really smart people ask or say, you know what, this whole sacrificial system is disgusting. I mean, there's blood and... Animals have to die, and that's just horrible. And I mean, we can discuss that, but if you want people to understand it and you take them through this progression and let them understand that for sins to be forgiven, the way God set it up is that something had to pay, and it had to be paying with blood. And then you can start to show people this image and picture, which is right here in the book of John. Jesus ends up becoming that lamb. 
Now, the Jews had a whole hierarchy for paying for sins, everything from, from doves and pigeons all the way up to a spotless pure lamb or a bull. Can you imagine how it would be if you had to do that every time you mess up? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What a mess that would be. None of us could keep up with that. Okay, so we have our sins separated us. Uh, sins cannot be paid for with good deeds. So we're moving on to P, paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. I have a picture of a cross here I'd just like you to look at for a minute. This symbol is recognized the world over and represents Christianity. I've heard this said many times, and maybe you have too, and I'm not trying to be cliche, but none of us would wear a guillotine around our neck, would we? I mean, nobody would wear an electric chair. What people need to understand if they're going to really understand the significance of the sacrifice is when Christ paid the price, he paid an ultimate price. He died for sin, and our brother put it really clearly. He paid a price he didn't owe, and he paid it for us. He was our substitute, and his, his blood atoned for our sin. That's a substitutionary atonement. It is a good word. It's a good term. I know it's not one you're going to use when you talk to your friends, but it does clarify what we're talking about here. And when Christ paid this price, only the blood could have, done, could have paid the whole price. Now, again, I don't know why God made this the price. But you know what? He set the price and then he paid it. So if people want to argue with that, I understand that. We can talk. But ultimately, he set the price and then he paid it. So what, where's the rub? You should be so grateful. And what I think happens a lot of times is people really don't understand what he did for them. So they don't in turn feel too, they don't feel grateful enough. Because they just don't understand the severity and the depth of it. John three sixteen, one of the most famous verses in scripture God so loved the world let's say it together can we God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life I could tell who grew up in King James there not as often quoted but but a great verse in the same vein same idea is first uh, Peter three eighteen. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, substitutionary, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, being made alive in the spirit. There's the atonement. Now, when this happened, scripture is very plain about this. Do you realize that the scripture writers, when they wrote, people were still alive who, who witnessed the events firsthand? You realize that, right? That's one of the powers of, of the Christian Bible. When these guys on, the, on TV were talking about how the Bible this and the Bible's written by men, I, I'm listening to these guys and I think they are so ignorant. They just don't know what they're talking about here. The New Testament, for instance, is one of the most reliable ancient documents we have. Far more reliable than even Shakespeare or any of the Roman histories that you're familiar with. Certainly the Greek, like Iliad and Odyssey, where we get all the Roman and Greek gods. Far more, more reliable one of the greatest reasons it's so reliable is that the writers wrote within, within just a few years, certainly less than a generation, of when the events happened. 
So that when they wrote, they literally used people who didn't believe in Christ, they didn't believe in his, his deity, and they would say, you know, you saw this happen. So what they're doing is they're actually calling, calling witnesses that don't, don't agree with the truth of the gospel, but they understand what happened and they can't refute the facts. So in this case, in the New Testament, the Bible is very clear the fact that Jesus was seen by over 500 people. You have to understand that those gospels were written at a time when people were still alive who could have just said, no, he didn't. No, he wasn't. But they couldn't say that. So you can, I, I just put a 500 on there. And then I put a 12 and a 40 because he was also appeared 12 separate times within the span of 40 days after the resurrection. Now, one of the things that uh, Christians are famous for is the cross. I wish there was a way for us to wear an empty tomb. I wish there was. And if I could have found a good empty tomb picture, I would have put it up there. Because do you realize that, that literally every sermon in the New Testament, the New Testament preachers preached, was based on the resurrection? And Paul said if the resurrection hadn't happened, then none of the rest of this would have been true. The resurrection gives the power to all of Christianity, and yet we don't talk about it that much. And, and, and understandably, we talk about the cross because our sins are forgiven, but we forget to talk about the fact that Christ rose again. And that validated everything that happened. And as the gospel writers wrote about it, they talked about the fact that not only did he rise again, but he appeared alive in 12 separate instances over a span of 40 days. I, you know, oftentimes, I don't know about you, but I think, man, I wish I could have been there for just certain things. And I'm not saying I had to be a disciple or anything like that. I would have just liked to have been there just to see some of these events take place. And I imagine over 40 days, he appeared 12 times. What was he doing the other days? I don't know. I just think of, I just, I'm weird. I just wonder where he was at, what he was doing. Maybe he saw other people and it didn't make it in the book. I don't know. But I wish I was there. Can you imagine what it would have been like? I mean, we have the examples where we see, remember Mary sees him. He says, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the Father. And I'd like to know what that was about. Remember, you guys know your stories, right? People need to know this. They need to know what you're talking about. This is some real stuff, really exciting things. Okay, so we had the G was what? He created us for fellowship. He created us to be with him. And what was the O? Our sins separated us from him. And then S, sins cannot be paid for with good works. And then P was paying the price for sin. Christ died on the cross and rose again. Okay, so let's talk about E. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, great, great scripture. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Salvation is Christ and Christ alone. It's his work, all his work, not our work at all. Now when I say alone, I need to emphasize this just a little bit because we live in a very pluralistic society, not unlike the New Testament, by the way, not unlike the, the, the worldview of the New Testament writers. They were, they were coming up against a very pluralistic society there too. All that nonsense about the Greek gods, people actually believed that then. That was happening right then. All of that was going on. Not only that, Christianity came out of, of Judaism, so these people had to really defend their faith against other religions. So I hear Christians today talk about how tough it is, and I think, boy, you don't even know. Historically, this is pretty similar to then. 
But we do live in a pluralistic society, and a lot of people would love it if everybody could make it to heaven. Guess what? I do too. I wish we could all go. I'll never forget the very first time. It must have been a youth pastor, maybe a month. And this, this little girl had got saved in our youth group, and she, was, uh, she lived in this trailer park, and she was bringing all her friends to church. It was amazing. And we were just preaching the gospel. I didn't know any better. And I remember one night, a little girl came up, and she said, she's crying, and uh, she said, uh, Terry told me my dad is in hell. And I'm looking at her, and like, why would you say that, Terry? And she said, he is. And I said, wow. He's got a lot of tact here for a junior high girl. And I said, okay, uh, you know, I pulled him aside. What are you talking about? Well, her little friend, her dad was Jewish. She didn't live with her dad, but her dad was Jewish, and he had passed away, never believing on Jesus Christ. And she looked at me, and she said, didn't you say Jesus was the only way to heaven? Didn't I say that? It's tough, isn't it? And that hurt. And it was really sad for me to talk to this little girl. And, you know, I wanted to say to her so badly, well, maybe he became a Christian before he died. <laughs> but he was Jewish. I'm pretty sure he didn't. So it comes down to this. A lot of people in Christianity today would like to be able to say, well, maybe he made it. Maybe God would just let anybody who really believes a lot make it. I remember a few years ago, I don't remember the name of the cult. It was in San Diego. I remember the guys dressed all alike and they were in beds and they thought if they committed suicide together, they would join some spaceship in the tail of Haley's Comet. Anybody remember that? I remember a commentator on TV said, but at least they really believed in something. I remember looking at her on the TV and thinking, what? Do you think that makes hell any cooler for them? Really? Is that all it takes is just to really believe in something? So if I really, really believe that I could walk through on water or through fire, then that's it? That's enough? You know what's sad about it is there is a plan of salvation, and I'm not trying to make it harsh, but I'm trying to explain to you, for most people, this is a really hard sticking point. But the truth of the gospel is, this is not something we're making up. I'm not saying this to be exclusionary, and I certainly didn't want to hurt that little girl's feelings or make her think her dad is in hell. I didn't want that. And I've had to do funerals for people where I really didn't know if they were made it to heaven or not. And I really, there's times where I would honestly say, I really hope they prayed a prayer like the thief on the cross and made it to heaven. But I don't know. And here's what this should do for you. Rather than you feeling bad and thinking, I don't think I can tell people that because I don't want to believe that. I'm sorry if you don't want to believe that. What it should do is really motivate you to tell them the truth. Because there are lost people and hell is real. Let's, and besides the fact that we didn't make this up, this isn't something I'm saying. Let's look at what Jesus said. These are Jesus' words himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Anytime somebody tries to say, Jesus was a good teacher, you can honestly say, well, he had to be more than that. Because if he was just a good teacher and he said this, he said this, and it's not true, he's not very good. No good man would say this if it wasn't true, unless it was really true. So he was either a liar or he was out of his mind or it's the truth. It doesn't leave us very many choices. Okay, let's look at this next thing here. And this is one of the most exciting parts. Gee, was God created us to be with him forever, all right? Our sins separated us from God. Sins cannot be paid for with good works. What was P? Paying the price for sin. Jesus died on the cross and rose again. What was E? Everyone who trusts in him alone 
has eternal life. And then L, I love this. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. 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 It doesn't have to be something you look for in the, the, the sweet by and by. It's forever. John 5, 24. Truly I say to you, he who hears my word, this is Jesus' words, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death and into life. It's eternal. Romans 22, 5. And there no longer will be any light, any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord of God, the Lord God will illuminate them and they will reign forever and ever and ever. That's the gospel in a nutshell. I want you to shut your eyes for a second. Everybody here. I don't know if anybody may have come into this room here on a Wednesday night and you yourself have never heard this put this way before, but it's possible. So I want to ask you really quickly, if there's somebody here who would like right now to just surrender their life to this God who loves them and wants that relationship with them. And maybe as we've talked tonight, you realize, you know what, I've done things that were wrong and I need to get this cleared up. It's my fault. I see that now and I want it to change. Anybody like that? Want to start their life with Jesus now and live it forever? Anybody, if that's you, just raise your hand really quickly. All right, you can open your eyes. I'm guessing you're all making it, which is good. But I'm also guessing that some of you know some people who are not. And I know that this is something that, that is really hard for us to get through our minds. I know that some of us, even now, even as I was talking tonight, I was not only remembering that junior high girl, but I was remembering other people that I've talked to who I've tried to convince that this is the truth and they're not believing. And as I mentioned funerals, I was thinking about some sad funerals I've had to do. I don't want that for anybody. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some of our motivations to share the gospel. And uh, it's going to be uncomfortable. But what I want to know is, if you would stand with me for a minute, and we could spend some time of prayer. Specifically for somebody you know who needs to know. And here's what I would like to do just to make it a little bit more real and to add a little bit of accountability.